Hey there, friends. How's it going? My name is Kyle Devlin, and I am the host of this podcast. This is the Having a Blast podcast. Having a Blast is a pop punk and emo podcast where we'll be doing a deep dive on important albums and bands. We'll also be speaking with band members, producers, and friends. If you happen to like what you hear, if you could do me a huge favor, perhaps give us a five-star review. That just really helps get the algorithms working in our favor, and then more people can hear the podcast. Or Another thing that really helps us out is if you share it with a friend. If you've got a friend that enjoys this type of music, pop punk and indie, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the show. This is having a blast. I'm excited you're here. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with a good friend of mine, somebody that I've known for many years now, almost 15 years, which is crazy to even think about, my buddy, Mr. Mark Van Sickle. Mark and I have known each other a long time, as I mentioned. He played in local bands, but Mark was also a DJ on the iconic alternative Kansas City station, 96.5 The Buzz, for 12 years. He was on many shows during his tenure at The Buzz. He also hosted my favorite, the Taking Back Sunday with Mark hour an hour of emo music on Sunday evenings from 7 to 8 on 96.5 The Buzz. And he went on right after the local show. So it was always fun listening to the local show with Jeremy and then taking back Sunday with Mark. Always fun catching up with him at shows and stuff. We had a lot of fun catching up on this episode, discussing what Mark is up to now. He found his way back into radio, so he discusses that. He's also hosting a very cool event coming up, Emery's Company. They're doing a live stream in Kansas City. So it's Emery, Aaron Marsh from Copeland, Aaron Sprinkle is going to play a set, Chris from surrogate it's very cool and mark is karaokeing the after party it's an emo after party so without further ado please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with my good friend mr mark van sickle hello good sir how are you Good, how are you doing? Good, man. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Thank you for agreeing to chat with me kind of late on uh, Wednesday evening. Oh, dude, this is not late. Trust me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, Good, man. On, on Sunday night, so I do like a Chiefs podcast once a week with one of the guys that writes for the place that I write for. And he has to do two or three articles after each Chiefs game, and then we record. And the Chiefs game was a Sunday night football game. So it didn't end till like 1030. So we didn't record till like after midnight. It was crazy. Wow. And then I got to get up super early for work. So it, it was a, yeah. it's, it's been a rough week catching up on the sleep now, but oh, I'm sure, man. <laughs> yeah. You probably have a little bit of that sleep debt thing. Oh, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. Well, thank you for agreeing to chat with me, man. We might need a little bit of caffeine, right? Just make through a, you're back on the radio, right? Yeah. So I'm producing for a talk radio show now. So it's nice. way different than what, what I did before. And it's kind of funny because I tell people the station I work for, I don't actually really my beliefs don't always align with what they talk about on there. So it's kind of like a weird dynamic, but it was a step to get back into radio. So I took yeah, it. <laughs> absolutely, man. Sometimes you just got to do it, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we do as adults, right? We just try yeah. stuff out. Exactly. And it's yeah. going all right so far, so. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear it, man. I'm glad you're back in radio. I mean, I think that's where you belong. It's probably where you feel most comfortable. You did it for so long. And just for the listeners, anybody that may be listening to this podcast, Mark was on 96.5 The Buzz. How long were you there? I was there. I started in, let's see, when did I do it? I did an internship in 2007. And then I started working part-time shortly after that. So wow. yeah, I worked there from 2007 to... 2019. So 12 okay. years. It's a good run, man. It was an iconic Kansas City radio station. And I think, you know, a lot of people have great memories associated with listening to the buzz. I know I do. I love all the people over there. I met Jeremy in 2003 before she was even working there. So I have so many connections to her and Ephentra and to you as well. That was always kind of cool. The fact that there was that cross connection there because we met before you were working for the buzz. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's cool, man. So you're still doing radio, which is rad. That's really cool. So this is a random question, but I'm thinking of it right now. Do you think podcasts have helped the radio or hurt the radio? I think they kind of coexist. And a lot of radio stations now 
are trying to get people that are already on the air doing a radio show to do podcasting as well. So they're trying to blend the two together, which I think it's a good idea. I think the more options, the better. So um, yeah. I really like what you're doing with your stuff. I've listened to quite a few of your episodes and the one with Aaron Sprinkle kind of pops into mind and like just yeah. like diving back through all like the old albums that, I mean, I call them old albums, but I still keep listening to them like the starting line may jimmy world all you know you've done a lot of these cool albums yeah so (laughs) dude thank you so much man i really appreciate it i appreciate you listening that was a trip talking to aaron because i've been such a fanboy of his since 2004 2005 i think the first time i heard him i'd be curious to know which album you first heard him do or when you first heard his name come up but for me it was that dead poetic record new medicines Mm mm-hmm we were still on tour, Game Time was, and we had a copy of that record. And I loved the post-hardcore that was coming into the scene with the used and My Chemical Romance, the story of the year. There was just something a little bit different about that Dead Poetic record. It sounded so good sonically, and it just sounded massive. And I thought, I really thought New Medicines in particular, if that would have been picked up by the radio, that just would have been a huge, huge smash hit. Totally agree. There's some bands that I just felt like didn't get the push that they should have like acceptance was one of those bands oh yeah i think they were an aaron sprinkle band maybe yep. they were okay mm-hmm. yeah i was gonna say i don't have his list of all of the stuff that he's done but i know it's like yeah. so extensive he's done but, so much man it's crazy and yeah and i like all of his mu- musical projects as well so same um, yeah so it's it was really cool hearing that and then i'm sure we'll talk about later what's going on in December. yeah 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 we'll definitely <laughs> discuss that but yeah the fact that he's coming to kansas city is pretty incredible because i've never seen him play i've never seen him play with his other musical endeavors his bands and things like fair and poor old lou i never saw i think i heard poor old lou for the first time much later after they were a band but we can start from the beginning if you want it's always yeah. a good idea on these podcasts you know <laughs> in thinking of questions that i wanted to ask you i know you played in bands you were on the radio i knew you were such a a champion of the scene and the music that we grew up with emo and pop punk and post hardcore and hardcore and indie and everything in between. Did you have a lot of music in the background when you were a kid, when you were growing up, were your parents, did they like music? Did they have music on? So yeah, I come from a musical background. It's probably different than what you might be thinking though. My dad was a worship pastor. It still is a worship pastor. So I grew up around church music, I guess you could say. My mom is a pianist. So she was teaching piano lessons like literally every day when I'd come back from school, even before I was in school, she'd be teaching piano lessons and we'd just have to be quiet and doing our own thing off to the side. So music was always around me growing up. And my mom and dad always wanted me and my grandparents wanted me to do music lessons, like piano lessons and stuff like that. And I just never wanted to take it. My sister and my brother did it. And I just, for some reason, I was I don't know if I was nervous of doing lessons or what, but I was just like, I'll just kind of do my own thing. And so I would kind of teach myself on the side to play either piano or guitar, bass, whatever it was. And then I would sing in choir. So yeah, it was just kind of growing up around music and then getting into it on my own timing, I guess you'd say. Yeah. So you had a little bit of an allergy to taking up the piano at first. Was it just the fact that you were going to have your mom teaching you? Do you think that was part of it? Or did you just want to play on your own and figure it out as you went along? Yeah, that's kind of how it was. And my mom didn't want to teach us. She would actually send us to one of her friends so that we wouldn't have like the mom trying to teach the kids thing going on. So. So That's my really brother, smart, actually. <laughs> yeah, so my brother started out doing piano lessons, then he actually became a drummer. And then my sister started out with piano, and she kept doing piano for a while. But yeah, I just, for whatever reason, like I said, I don't know if it was I didn't want to practice a lot, <laughs> like what the teachers wanted me to do, but... Yeah. Uh, that, that was when my rebel phase started, I guess, even as a child, not one to practice. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. I think one of the hardest things I ever did with guitar was get past that insurmountable objective that was learning Ode to Joy. That <laughs> that was the hardest thing at first, Yeah, but I had to practice it so much. I mean, it took me weeks to figure that out and to pick it properly. I mean, it took me a long time to become even halfway decent at the guitar. It took at least a year to a year and a half. So I'm amazed that I had the fortitude at eight years old, nine years old to practice that song that much. But I think, I don't know, maybe it was just the fact that I didn't have anything else going on. I was so young. Yeah. Did you ever play guitar or anything? 
Did you learn to play guitar? I'm not great at I can play like simple stuff. I'm really good at bar chords. So I can yeah. play a lot of the pop punk stuff that, you know, we love. That's like yeah. my favorite stuff to like mess around with and like try to figure out a way to do it acoustically. But yeah, I'm yeah. I'm not a good shredder at all. I've tried and it it's, doesn't work for me and I don't have the time to sit down and practice anymore. So <laughs> I, I, I've given that uh, attempt up. But yeah, I could do some acoustic stuff. But yeah, singing cool. was more my forte. Yeah, learning the bar chords, learning the power chords, that's a game changer too, because then you can play all the Ramon songs, all the Green Day songs. You can play Glistering by Bush. Uh-huh. Once you figure out how to do a bar chord, that opens up a lot. That was the first thing that I wanted to do after I learned Ode to Joy is I wanted to learn Basket Case by Green Day. So you had music on in the background. Your dad was a pastor. Was he in charge of the musical program at your church? Yeah, he was the music pastor, the worship pastor, I guess is what they would call The worship him. pastor, yes. Yeah, so okay, he, cool. was, he was doing, you know, practices like a couple times a week. So sometimes, especially when I was younger, we would go to the, all the practices and stuff like that. So get to church. Did they listen to music? Um, they listened to some music. It was more like contemporary Christian music of the 80s, I guess you'd say. So, Striper? Striper. I mean, they weren't huge into Striper. They were more into like the Michael W. Smiths of the day. Um, mm-hmm. And he's still around, which is crazy, by the way. I guess it's not <laughs> crazy because, you know, there's a lot of good artists still around. But yeah, it, it was kind of more stuff like that. But yeah, Striper was a, you know, fun one. And Petra was another mm-hmm. rock band of the 80s that I discovered on cassette tape. And then eventually it would transition into, it's kind of a weird transition to say, but then it would transition to like MXPX and Reliant K and stuff like that. So sure. <laughs> eventually make the jump. Yeah. Did you see the Reliant K announced a tour yesterday? Yes. I figured that that would come up at some point and that's amazing announcement. I'm friends with a guy. He was in Nashville now. His name is Nathan Johnson. He used to be in some bands in Kansas City. And we always text back and forth whenever there's Reliant K news and some other bands like that. And so I text him a screenshot of it. I'm like, dude, they're coming back. They're going back on tour, which I assume means maybe they're writing new music too. I don't think they made that announcement yet, but I'm sure that they're working on something. Well, everything on their social media says, um, yeah, like it's the um, yeah tour. And I just automatically assume that that's the name of the new record, you know, because that feels very Reliant K. It's like the sequel to, mm -hmm, yeah, that would be, that would be perfect. That really would. And I'm excited to hear what that is because their last album, honestly, air for free was pretty underrated. It kind of flew under the radar and it was a good album. Yeah, I liked it. It was a departure a bit for them, but it was a little bit more mature. It's kind of a longer album, a sprawling album. There's a lot of songs on it and it feels different than other Reliant K, but at the same time, you can see that continuity. There's a pin that goes through all of their albums and you can find your way to air for free for sure. It feels like Reliant K. And we saw them on that tour. We saw them co-headline with Switchfoot and it was fun. Nice. I missed that tour. I was bummed. It's been a while since I've seen Reliant K, but Honestly, I was thinking, prepping for this podcast a little bit, Reliant K and then another band that we'll probably talk about a little bit later, Emery, are the two bands that I've seen more from out of any other bands. I've seen, I think I've seen Reliant K 20 times and that's oh, wow. an exaggeration. So yeah, it's, I would always see them anytime they'd come around Casey. I've seen them at a few festivals, Lawrence, you know, whenever they're close by, always, sure. always see them. First time, by the way, I don't know if this would be something to get into later or if we can just dive into it now since we're talking about it. A show that I really remember from back in the day, you might have been at the show. I'm not sure. New Earth Cafe was uh, a venue that was like really popular, kind of underground popular back in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, late 90s even, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, But yeah, Reliant K, the first time I saw Reliant K was at New Earth with Mm -hmm. a band called Fillmore. Mm-hmm. Uh, a band called the W's and then five iron frenzy. They were here yep. back in the day. And that was my first Reliant K show. Really? I think my first punk show, if I can think of it, my first time going to a show with my friends and like actually driving to the show on my own and just having a great time. And that was life changer. Really? Honestly, <laughs> Dude, I believe it. And I actually was at that show, which is funny to think about now because that was actually the first time I saw them too. I think their first record had just come out. It was Mm -hmm. 2000 or maybe the beginning of 2001 when that show happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I actually bought a Fillmore shirt that night and it was the blue shirt with the truck on it. I don't know if you remember that shirt. And that's the shirt that I was wearing when I got the Green Day guitar. And that was, oh yeah. I think I wore it in a couple of game time promo picks too. I I do remember that shirt in the game time promo picks. Cause I remember I was like, dude, this guy likes Fillmore. We're already friends. Like I didn't quite know (laughs) you then. I don't think, but I was like, 
I can already tell we're going to be friends because I bought a Fillmore shirt at the same show. It was the one that said our finest hour with like the lightning bolts on the side of it. Yeah. I remember that logo. Yeah. I loved that shirt as well. Yeah. I wore that Fillmore shirt out. I think I ended up getting holes in the armpits. I wore it so much. I loved that shirt. Just that minimalist design. Yeah. That was a great show. That was a lot of fun. They were a lot of fun. And I don't even remember how I heard of their band. I remember that album cover, buying it specifically because I heard a song somewhere. I can't remember where it was, but... Okay, now that we're talking about Fillmore still or Reliant K? Oh, Reliant K. Reliant oh, K. Okay. That, yeah, that first record. I think that's what they were touring on. With the, I totally uh, forgot that Five Iron played that show too. Oh, yeah. They had to stop early because it was so hot in there. Like Five Iron didn't even get to finish their set. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my gosh. It's all coming flooding back. Yeah, I was a sweaty mess that night. I do remember that show. Yeah. New Earth was an iconic venue. You know, I just recently found out, I think it was after Kevin passed, after I heard Kevin Eshelman passed, unfortunately, that that venue, which like you said, it was kind of underground. I mean, it was literally underground, but yeah. it was underground in popularity. It was there since 93 or 94. They had been having shows all throughout the 90s. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Yeah. Because I mean, I was obviously too young to drive there myself, like I said, until that Reliant K show. So yeah, getting down there was once I could get there, I'm like, all right, what other shows are coming up at New Earth? And then I sure. just try to go to as many shows as I could. Yeah. And a lot of that was spearheaded by Kevin Eshelman, him booking a lot of the bands that were on BEC and Tooth and Nail at the time, bands like Blenderhead and Fan Mail and POD and all of these bands that were pretty noteworthy or became very noteworthy, bigger bands on Tooth and Nail. And, and other labels like that, they were all playing New Earth. They were coming through town and they were playing New Earth, which is crazy to think about. But yeah, I remember seeing Squad 5-0 there shortly thereafter, after that show. And I think Zayo was with them or something, mm-hmm. something ridiculous like that. I'm trying um, to think if I was at that or show. Ludicrous. If I wasn't at that show, I definitely had wish I had gone to that show because I, I remember seeing the flyer like that was back in the day where after every show, you're getting a flyer from people of upcoming shows, whether it be local bands handing out the flyers. I'm sure you've passed out plenty of flyers in your day. I know. I oh, did. yeah. But yeah, I just do. like seeing the shows that are coming up, you take it home, you put it in the car, you leave it in the car on the dash. And you're like, all right, these are the shows that are coming up. I got to get to some of these. Yeah, dude. And that's how you would network too, you know, because I remember I get local bands flyers and man, we hustled. We flyered every show, any show we were going to or not going to, we were flyering just all the time. I probably spent, I don't know, like $3,000 going to Kinko's late at night, making thousands and thousands of flyers that probably just ended up in the trash. But I think that was a big reason why people just knew our name. And you probably experienced that in your band as well. What was the first band you remember connecting with? Was it Reliant K or was it MXPX? MXPX was probably one of the first bands that brought me into that scene. A couple others, uh, the Juliana Theory and Further Seems Forever, I heard around the same time i think i heard them on a tooth and nail sampler together nice um, i think i'm trying to think it might have been into the dark mm-hmm. and wearing thin were the two songs okay. one from the julian theory and one from further seems forever and there was a christian bookstore not far from where i lived and they had music videos on loop there and mm-hmm. i saw the wearing thin music video and i was just like oh man this is super cool i was like i like the sound it's different it's kind of melodic and i just remember thinking like all right this is kind of cool my brother he's a couple years older than me he was already into bands like that i just hadn't really fully immersed myself into it so when i started like i said being able to drive to shows and drive to the store and checking out the albums for myself that was when definitely a game changer for me and being able to dive into some more of those bands yeah for sure man i bet that was cool that was an exciting time Mm-hmm. Man, game time. We listened to Emotion is Dead on repeat. That was a record that was a staple. It was a mainstay in our van. We just listened to it so much. The Moon is Down was too, but I think we had a burned copy and it didn't have every song on it. I remember uh, I love Snowbirds and Townies and that mm-hmm. was the first song. So it was out of order. I just remember really loving that song, but we had a copy of that Juliana Theory record, the first two, and we just listened to them back to back just so much. But I was such a fan of Emotion is Dead. I felt like those songs belonged on the radio. Mm-hmm. I felt like they were hits. Oh yeah. Emotion is Dead was the first Juliana Theory album I heard and then it was now I'm blanking on the name of it I'm terrible this is one of my favorite bands and I Kyle you know it right can you help me out the first record yeah the first record I'm actually blanking as well so that's okay we're both fake fans Oh, gosh. Man, this is terrible. I didn't even write it down or anything. I should have known. I was, I was literally about to say Deadbeat, but that's the record that came out after their major label release. Yeah, I, I can look it up. I'm just thinking of all the song titles off of it right now. 
Um, oh, understand this is a dream. Understand this is a dream. There it is. That's yeah. so I I heard emotion is dead first, and then I went back in time, and then like you said, I don't know if you ever did this, but I would burn back to back albums. So I would actually ended up having it so that I could listen to all the songs in order from both of those albums. And me and my friends in the summer of whatever it was, 2002, I think maybe when that came out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were just always listening to that album. So man, good. Actually, I think, you know, it's crazy. I think emotion is dead came out in 2000. Okay. Yeah, It came out in 2000. So it was a bit of a game changer record and it came out early. Mm-hmm. That was an exciting time. You would hear a lot of the Jimmy World and Elliot and Mineral Influence, that Midwestern emo. You would hear a lot of that in a lot of the newer up and coming Christian bands or the bands that were affiliated with the Christian scene, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, really. But I just loved all of it. I really immersed myself in the Tooth and Nail catalog. There were so many bands that were coming out at that time. And I remember hearing Clarity for the first time from Jimmy World. And then you heard this onslaught of bands that were very clearly listening to a lot of clarity uh-huh. before they went into record. And that's what I thought when I heard Further. Further had a little bit more of that math rock element mm-hmm. where I could hear the fact that most of the members came from a hardcore band because it was a collection of parts and there was these really interesting and dynamic rhythms and things like that. I really was drawn to that. And obviously Chris's voice was iconic for the time and oh, yeah. such a great record. The Moon is Down, another classic, man. Good stuff. <laughs> Some of those bands, like after I got into some of those two, the nail bands, then I was late to the party on some of the other bands like Jimmy World and yeah, just some of those like Death Cab for Cutie, some of those other bands that were before the two, the nail bands a little bit. But then I started getting into those bands like right, right after that, like 2002, 2003, 2004 taking back Sunday started coming up at that point too. So yeah, yeah. It just kind of all started to blend together then at that point. And man, it was a fun time for music. Yeah, it really was. And you're right. It did start to blend together. When I first met Pamela, she worked at a church for a long time, this progressive church in Lawrence. And she thought it was interesting that I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't grow up in the church scene really, but I was still a part of it. And I still loved so many bands that were a part of that as well. You know, Amberlin being one of my favorite bands, they're on tooth and nail. Mm-hmm. and having lyrics that fall in line with that spirituality that they share. She found that interesting and she found that surprising. Yeah, you could tell at a certain point, it wasn't something where it was so segmented like it was in the 80s and 90s where you had the Christian bands versus the non-Christian bands. Mm -hmm. It was just like you have a collection of bands. I feel like MXPX really bridged that gap too. The fact that they were playing Warp Tour and they were going on tour with Bad Religion and they were wearing no effects shirts and they were clearly fans of Fat Rec. They even put out an EP in 2000 on Fat Rec. So there was this interweaving of bands that was happening around that time. And I think there was some mutual respect that was starting to form around that time. Yeah, it was, I don't want to plug another podcast, but there's a tooth and nail podcast out there with Matt Carter. Oh yeah, it's great. (laughs) Labeled? Labeled, yeah. And like just going through some of those episodes, it's fun to hear back like bands that I listen to and just like, and same with your podcast though, like listen to some of the guys that you've talked to, man, hearing some of their stories and just what they thought of the time and what I was thinking of the time versus what they thought. And it's just like, oh man, this is kind of cool. Yeah, like what you said, like some of those Christian bands that maybe weren't, you know, hardcore Christian bands or whatever, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Um, they would go out and play all these quote unquote secular shows, you know, they'd Uh be playing in bars and stuff like that. And it's so funny that that was like taboo at the time when it obviously shouldn't be. It's like, just go out and play and have a good time and, you know, sell some (laughs) t-shirts. Dude, absolutely. And you're right. Perception is a big part of it. This is kind of separate. It doesn't pertain to the Christian versus secular scene or the bands that are associated with Tooth & Nail versus not. But I remember when I talked to Rob from Hidden in Plain View and he was on drive Through Records, but they were still, it seems the way he was talking to me that they were eating at Taco Bell every night, sleeping on floors. They weren't making much money. They weren't seeing a ton of fruits of their labor. And me, even now as somebody in their late 30s, I look at it as this larger than life entity thinking of drive through records as this massive machine that so many people wanted to be a part of. And I mean, that was the record label that you wanted to get signed to if you were in a band in the early 2000s. It was tooth and nail for kids who grew up in the church scene and drive through was a huge, huge label for all the pop punk kids. It's interesting as somebody who lived it and was a part of it and experienced it, the perception is different, right? Mm -hmm. And I find that interesting. And I continue 
continue to be surprised by that when I talk to people on this podcast, because mm-hmm. it feels so larger than life in my mind. I've always been a fan of things too. I've always been a big fan. You know, sometimes I think musicians, it does well if they just ignore everything and just do their own thing. Mm-hmm. I had a difficult time doing that because I was a fan of everything. I was taking everything in, you know? So I don't know. I think that's fascinating too, just that juxtaposition. But I know we're talking about early 2000s, but even into the mid 2000s and into the later 2000s or even the 2010s, are there any of your favorite shows or tours that you were able to experience and that you remember? Oh man. So you were talking about drive-thrus. I got to bring up the drive through tour, which was I think fall 2003, maybe. Yeah, I believe Um, so. And it was homegrown. I think Hidden in Plain View is there. I'm pretty sure. Uh, The early November, which quick story, if you don't mind, if I can branch off on a quick story. Uh, So the early, uh, let me try to get through the bands. So it was the early November, also the starting line. And um, did Census Fail open too? I think Census Fail was there. Yes. So there was five bands there awesome yeah. bands on drive through records and the early november was about to have an out their very first full-length album come out i think it was the room's either, too cold yes the room's too cold and i think it was either the day after that show the album was going to release or maybe two days after the show but from the stage they're like hey i don't know if we're allowed to do this but we just got our cds that release like in a day or two and we're going to sell them to you for five dollars if you go back to the table and get it tonight then they were like kind of freaking out they're like i don't know if we're supposed to do this but we're so excited that we got these cds to give out on our tour not give out sell and so i went back there their live show just blew me away and back in the day that's how i knew if i really liked the band i would go buy their cd at the table or buy a t-shirt or whatever that was like Mm -hmm. i want to support the band you know so i'm like these guys were awesome live i'm gonna go get their album and then i can say that i bought their first album before anybody else could even get it and so like that's a story that i've always held on to because the early november is still one of my favorite bands like they're just a great band they're awesome i love ace i love his i guess he does have some solo stuff but yeah i like anything that guy puts out so cool man yeah. So you felt like you were behind the scenes, like you had a leg up on everybody that had to wait for it to officially drop. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's that- rad. And they must've been just selling it at cost at that point. Five bucks is pretty cheap, even yeah. for back then. Right. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I don't know how or why they're doing this, but I'm going to go jump on it while I can. <laughs> That's so rad. Yeah. I just did the talking records podcast and we talked about homegrown act your age. And when I saw them, they opened for blink and their record was coming out in two weeks and they were selling it at their merch booth. And we were so excited and it was the exact same thing. We just thought, Oh, this is so rad. We get to hear it before anybody else, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure they were on a major label. So there's no way they were supposed to be selling those CDs. Mm -hmm. They just happened to get advanced copies or something. I have no idea, but yeah, we ended up getting it that, that night and it became one of my favorite record. So maybe there's something to that. The fact that if you feel, if you perceive that you're getting it early, you really want to connect to it that much more. Yes. And that was before the days where, I mean, there was probably illegal downloading websites at the time, but it wasn't that bad yet no. at that time, I don't think. And then- Not 2003. But- Yeah. And there wasn't streaming yet. There wasn't like Spotify or anything like that. So uh, you got to go out and get the CD. And like some of my favorite memories in college were like me and my buddies going before our first class or maybe after our first class to Best Buy or whatever record store and go buy the CD because it was record release day. Back then it was on Tuesdays. Now it's on Fridays, I think. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Which is crazy to me. I still am expecting new music on Tuesdays. It's nuts. Yeah, exactly. I think I'm finally getting used to it. I stay up pretty late these days because I work later in the day just because Mm -hmm. our PT space, we split it up and that started with COVID just so we weren't on top of each other. And so I stay up kind of late and invariably... 11 o'clock will roll around on Friday nights. I'm going through my release radar right then Mm -hmm. because I want to see what's out. And that kind of brings up another question. Do you purposefully not listen to singles that are released these days? Because I feel like more and more singles are released. And then before you know, you've already heard half the record. I kind of liked the fact that I'd buy an album and I could soak it up for the very first time in totality for the first time. That's a great point. And I think I've started listening to singles just because I get excited about hearing a new song or whatever, like Dashboard released a new song last week. And I was like, oh, that's exciting. It's his first new song in like four years. So 
yeah. yeah there's there's some songs like if he releases another song or two maybe i'll hold back if i can get myself to but yeah sometimes i just get too excited and jump into it but sure yeah, kind of depends on the band too i guess true that's kind of how it is for me because i feel like the more easily digestible pop punk stuff i'll just listen to it mm-hmm. but the last thrice record the newest one horizons east that came out i think a month and a half ago i only listened to the one single that they released the first one and i listened to it maybe once but I really just wanted to dive into that whole record and its mm-hmm. total form. Yes. And I feel like they're a band, when you experience the album that way, it's better. That's exactly what I was going to say. Thrice is one of those bands. There's some of those bands that you hear the single and you're like, okay, that was all right. But then you listen to the entire album a couple of times through and you're like, oh man, that fits really nicely in that album. So yeah. like, as a single, like, unfortunately for bands like that, sometimes it's harder for them to get radio play too, because they do have songs that could be really good on the radio. But yeah, when you listen to the album in its entirety and you hear that song in that space and it's like, okay, I hear what they were doing and that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the song works better in the context of the full album, right? Because mm-hmm. they kind of weave in and out. Yeah. And unfortunately with game time, because of monetary constraints, otherwise I would just quit my job and go record pop punk songs and albums and stuff. Yeah. We're doing one song at a time. So it's like, this is what you get. You want new game time? It's going to be one song at a time. (laughs) I was going to say, dude, I've been digging your songs, by the way. Thanks, dude. Really, really sounding great. Like the first one, I don't know what it was about the first one, but I had that thing on loop. Just like I was listening to it like every day when I was driving to work. (laughs) <laughs> it's like it was it was like it's a great song and like some of my friends that you know growing up back in the day you know all, all my friends that the people that i go to reliant k shows with we go to game time did, by the way really quick sorry i'm kind of going off on tangents here but no, you're fine you're good did, did you guys play a show i was trying to think when thinking about this podcast and coming on and with you there was a show at a i think it was called the fire escape or something in mm-hmm. kc and then Yellow Card, and I think Emery and you guys played. Did you play with Emery there at that venue, or was did you play with we, Yellow Card or something? We never played with Emery, as far as I know. I don't think we ever played with Emery. Okay. Oh, the Spitfire. I was thinking of the name of the venue. It was called the Spitfire. Spitfire, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in the West Bottoms. Yes. yes. Yeah, so that was the owner of the El Torreon, his new venue, that okay. was open for maybe a year, maybe a year and a half. And we played there twice. We played there once with Yellow Card, and then we played there once with Over It. And I want to say it might have been Amity or, oh no, I'm sorry. It was Don't Look Down Over It. And I think Amity played as well. And then we played with Yellow Card there. And there was another opening band. I unfortunately can't remember the name of the band. I think it was another local band. And Fall Out Boy was supposed to play as well. They were on the tour with Yellow Card. We were told that they had a family emergency and that they needed to drive home and that Kansas City was their last date and then they were driving to Chicago. So they just opted not to go to Kansas City because they had this family emergency. But they were supposed to play that night with us in Yellow Card at the Spitfire. What's funny is, so I was at that show. That was a great show, by the way. And I remember because, yeah, we were going to see, I mean, I was stoked just to see you guys in Yellow Card, but I was going to see Fall Out Boy for the first time. And I still, to this day, I've never seen Fall Out Boy. Oh, somehow, really? Somehow, I don't know how. I've been to so many shows Dude, in that's the last crazy. 15 years and I've never seen Fallout Boy live. And I yeah. really I honestly don't know how I've not seen them, but that's besides the point. What I was getting at was all my friends that I go to see these shows back in the day, I was like messaging them on Facebook, texting a few of them that I still have their number. And I'm like, dudes, there's new game time out. You got to listen to it. And everybody's just like, this is totally nostalgic and totally awesome. So <laughs> keep on putting out the singles, man, is what I was getting to. That five minute long sidetrack got to... to no, that, dude, I really... That's, that's awesome, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for telling your friends too. I mean, that's oh, yeah. really cool. When we finished that song and I listened to the mixed version, this is exactly mm-hmm. what I wanted with this. You know, I wanted it to be fast and catchy and sonically sound at least... A a little bit modern, I guess. And yeah. And then we put it out and we got such a great reaction and reception from so many people. And it was just really life-giving. It was really cool because we were really just purely doing it for fun and we're still purely doing it for fun. That's really the only reason we're doing it. But I really appreciate you. I appreciate the kind words and I appreciate you telling your friends. Oh yeah. It was a lot of fun to make and it was fun to just sing in a studio again and just create something. But what's crazy about that Fall Out Boy show is we played with them maybe two months prior to that in Omaha. They were really cool. They were 
really cool dudes. I remember Pete was really friendly. Joe was really friendly. He kind of gave me a hard time. He thought our intros were way too long. He was like, if you guys write new songs, he would razz me. He'd go, I love your music, but your intros are way too long. The next time you record songs, you need to get into the vocals within the first 10 seconds. That's what he told me. Okay. And if you listen to Take This to Your Grave, that's what every song is. Vocals immediately. Yeah. So he had a point. Yeah, that's, I mean... (laughs) I like intros, but I could see how for some people that maybe are maybe short attention spans, like he ha- yeah. he does have a really good point that people sometimes just like to hear the hook really fast. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's why, you know, this, it's kind of fun. That last single that we put out out of the dark, it's literally the vocals start immediately with the music. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Yeah. I liked how you did that. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. That was fun. We were bummed though. We were bummed. They didn't play that night. Cause we were really looking forward to seeing them too. And I was such a massive fan of take this to your grave. I loved that record. Yeah, it was crazy, but it was still fun to play with yellow card. Those shows were a lot of fun. Spitfire was a cool little venue. It was just in a rough area. It was down to the West Bottoms. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Yeah. There was a couple of shows I saw there. I saw that, that show with you guys in Yellow Card. And then I was trying to think who I saw Emery with because I did see Emery there once. But man, That's I rad. Can't, I can't remember who they played with, but... Uh, was it with it was, a local band? Maybe Arlington or... There was a local band there. Arlington could have been a band that was there. I really liked Arlington back in the day. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was when they were touring on their first album, The Week's End. And me and my buddies saw Emery, I think, five times. They came to Kansas City and Lawrence like four or five times in that first year that they were touring. And like we were yeah, just going to see them like every time. And another tour, I know that this is backtracking a little bit because we were talking about tours a little bit ago. But right after the drive through tour in the fall of 2003, there was a Tooth and Nail tour in 2004 that Further Seems Forever was actually supposed to headline. And then they had the issue with yeah. their second lead singer, Jason, dropping off or leaving the band. So Further had to drop off the tour. So anyway, Emery was the opening band and it was their first actual big tour. I think they'd mm-hmm. done some regional stuff, but it was Emery, Watashi Wa, who mm-hmm. I think was a pretty underrated band back in the day. Oh, yeah. Um, Me Without you, Amberlin, right? Uh, yeah. Amberlin Headline, Me Without You was the third band before Amberlin. Oh. Um, and me without you, that was my first time seeing them live. And that was a life changing event as well. So it was, man, that was such a good tour. Like all these bands that I loved and if further things forever had headlined that, that just would have been, I mean, it was already an incredible show, but if further had headlined, then that would have been just out of this. I don't even know. It would have been like a high for me. But uh, it would have been out of this world for sure. Yeah, dude, I was literally just thinking about that tour. The prospect of that tour happening today. Can you imagine? Oh, gosh, that would be, It'd be incredible. They'd yeah. make so much money. They I mean, I was going to say what? they'd probably have to get a bigger venue than the Granada. But <laughs> yeah, it was- yeah, they'd be playing small arenas. I feel like, you know, you could throw one more classic tooth and nail band on there or a band around that scene around that time, like a May, Mm -hmm. and you've got basically a traveling festival. That would just be so cool to see. And that was so tragic. I remember when that happened, when they were supposed to headline the tooth and nail tour that year and they were blowing up. I remember Mm -hmm. walking into Best Buy and the sound, is that the name of the song? Yeah, that was the single, yep. Yeah. So I remember hearing that and they were just playing it. It was that song and one other song and they were on loop. Cause I remember I used to go to Best Buy and I'd spend a little bit of time there looking for a new album to buy. I just remember they played that song a ton, but yeah, what an unbelievable lineup and me without you, an amazing band, amazing dudes too. We were really fortunate. We actually got to play with them a couple of times too, which is completely weird. We're polar opposites as far as bands are concerned, but they were so much fun. I really loved watching them live. I feel like Me Without You is one of those bands that kind of just plays with everybody. They just kind of have like a unique sound and a unique style. But yeah, that was the first time I'd ever seen him. And just like the stage presence of Aaron Weiss, their lead vocalist was just like something that I'd never seen before. And just the way that he like, I don't even know how to describe his, it's not really dancing, but it's kind of dancing. It's like just a fluidity that he has across the stage. It's, I don't know, it's still really unique compared to other bands that I've seen live. But yeah, yes. unbelievable stage presence. I don't think oh, I've ever yeah. seen anybody like him. Yeah, it, it's just so wild and crazy. And then Emery was opening that because, yeah, it was their first tour. So they're the opening band. And their album had just come out. I think it was like maybe a month before the week's end had just come out. And me and my buddies were there in front to see Emery because we just loved that album. Even though it had only been out for a month, we were just listening to it all the time. And we got up to the very front and they were only able to play like four songs because they were the opening band. So they only had like 20 minutes. 
And mm-hmm. we wanted them to play the song called As Your Voice Fades, which is, I think, track nine on their first record. And mm-hmm. the way that, that song ebbs and flows is just, I don't know, it was just one of my favorite songs at the time. So we started chanting, As Your Voice Fades. Obviously, they're not going to listen to like four or five guys like just <laughs> yelling at them because they have their set list that they're playing every night. So I didn't know that at the time, but I was like, play as your voice fades. And then they literally, I can't remember if it was Toby or I think it was Toby. He looks over and he goes, Hey guys, sorry, we don't have time to play that song. We'll play it when we come back in April. And then he kind of like teased their next tour already before we even knew that it was happening. We're like, they're coming back in April. What the (laughs) heck? So like, we just got excited when he said that. And sure enough, by the way, they did come back in April. They played on Easter Sunday at the bottleneck because that shows the grass they played at the bottleneck with a band called anatomy of a ghost which mm-hmm. portugal the man yeah. like, they have members from that band that are in portugal man that band's like wild and crazy big now but the beautiful mistake played at that show with emory oh. and there was an easter sunday show and the crowd was there was not a big crowd there which made me sad because i felt bad for the bands but we had a great time at that show they played as your voice fades and they remembered us yelling it at him at the Granada show. And I was just like, these dudes are awesome. So yeah, I've been an Emory fan for so long and then like playing a song for us at the next tour was just cherry on top of the Sunday. So yeah, I'm always hardcore Emory fan from day one. <laughs> Dude, I love Emory too. Such a unique and special band. I think they were a band that was able to play with a lot of different bands, but they didn't really sound like any of those bands at the same time. Mm-hmm. They get lumped into that post-hardcore scene plus demographic, but there's a lot more than meets the eye to Emery if you really dive into their entire catalog. And I just love those two singers. They're completely unique, and yet they're so great together, Devin and mm-hmm. Toby. Yeah. And I like their podcast too. I listen to it periodically. They are so busy. Those yeah. guys just do so many things. It's really cool. It's really admirable how they run their band like a business mm-hmm. and how they do digital marketing and how they're involved in all these podcasts and they're taking charge of booking their own tours, releasing their own music, being their own distribution channel. I think it's really cool. And that was going to be my next question. Actually, this segues nicely. You're DJing an emo karaoke night after party, which we're very spoiled. We're very lucky when i heard we were getting this i just couldn't believe that kansas city okay that's rad man so you're doing this right after a show at the rhino which is right next to my personal training space it's literally within walking distance less than a block away aaron marsh from copeland emory is doing a full band show i believe aaron sprinkle is going to do a set as well and chris from surrogate is going to be there as well and then you're djing the karaoke party afterwards so can you tell me a little bit about that did they contact you how did you find out yeah yeah, so one of the guys that runs the Rhino reached out to me on Zach? Facebook. Yes, Zach. He reached out to me about maybe it was just a few days before they were going to announce this. I thought it was a tour at the time, but it's just a one-off KC thing, which is even more incredible, I think. Yeah, they're going to live stream it too. Okay, cool. So yeah, that's when he mentioned like who was going to be there and all this stuff and I'd done a emo karaoke night there before a couple years ago. And so I think they just were like, Mark, hey, you want to come out and do this with us? Because it's right up your alley. And, you know, we think you'd have fun. We think that people would have fun with you there. So, man, it was just an honor for them to reach out to me about this because I know we've been talking about it, but Emory is one of my favorite bands dating back to a long time. Actually, um, this is kind of just a side note as well. My nephew is named Emery, my very first nephew, because my sister-in-law saw me wearing my Emery shirt all the time around their house. She's just like, that's a cool name. So yeah, it is. my nephew is, dang, he's 15 years old now. Wow. So yeah, I'm, I'm feeling old, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we're still Emory, young. I know. <laughs> yeah. Emery and then Aaron Marsh Copeland is also one of my favorite bands from the early 2000s. They were one of those bands that I guess I, I was already into that music by the time their first record beneath the medicine tree came out. But yeah, after I heard that album, it was just like, all right, these guys are awesome. And then every time they put out a new album, the progression is just, it's one of those Copeland. And then I think Manchester Orchestra is another band where I think every album, it just seems like their progression and like maturing, I guess you could say just Mm -hmm. keeps getting better and better and better. And even though their first album might be my favorite album, I know it's not like their 
best album if that makes sense sure it's all about that time and place when it hits you right Uh it's it becomes more special and we romanticize it a little bit and with a lot of these first records with the bands that i still listen to it's not that i don't love their newer stuff there's a lot of stuff that they do that's new that i love i mentioned the new mxpx quite a bit because i really liked that record i like the fact that they're still making music but i just have more history with life in general you know yeah i love blush but i have way more history with in motion and beneath the medicine tree at some point i'll probably have just as much history with those newer albums hopefully those bands are still making music then that's the hope right but they can still be progressing in a way that you're really a big fan of i feel that way about thrice Mm -hmm. i feel with every thrice record they're taking it to another level and it may not even be necessarily a better level it might just be a different landscape of sounds that they're playing with i think of the progression from artists in the ambulance to an album like beggars Mm -hmm. they're very different they both have their own personality and their own lane but i like that about them and i can have a little bit of of history and as time moves on i feel more connected to those albums for different reasons yeah thrice is definitely another one of those bands like you said and then getting back to the show sorry i get sidetracked a lot but <laughs> no worries man this is good i love this stuff i love these <laughs> fluid conversations where they go all over the place that's actually yeah. my favorite thing to listen to so yeah aaron marsh man that just and i heard that they're letting him do like kind of a headline so he'll mm-hmm. be like the final thing. So that's going to be awesome. I didn't know that Emery was doing a full band. That makes me really excited. I would like acoustic too. So like whatever they do, I'm going to be excited about. But Aaron Sprinkle being there is, I know we talked about it earlier in the podcast. That episode you did with him was one of my favorite episodes of your podcast. Same. Um, so man, it's just like, yeah, I'm excited to hear what he has. I know it's going to be conversation and music. So I'm going to hear be excited what he has to say and then also hear his acoustics whatever he plays because his new ep is really solid i don't know if you've had yeah. to listen to it yet but it's pretty new i think it just came out like it came out not, on friday i was gonna say i was gonna say i think it just came out this month because i listened to it a yeah. couple times already but <laughs> yeah, yeah i had it playing in my space a couple days ago it's funny you mentioned that because i did listen to it and i listened to it a couple times and it sounds great it sounds like the exact type of music i want to listen to right now Mm-hmm. And I like a lot of different styles of music, but it has that quirky indie charm, but there's still some aggression there. There's some urgency there mm-hmm. and the recording's really good. The drums sound really punchy. There's still guitars there. I love his voice. I think his mixes are really great. He's just really great at producing music. You know, he's just yeah. a producer's producer and he's a good producer of music. I think there's a lot of songwriters out there. They can be really great songwriters, but they have to really outsource making of the music and recording of the music. He's uniquely qualified to do both. Yeah. Which is really cool. But yeah, I love that new EP. I wish it were a full length, but maybe we'll get another EP at some point. He seems to be banging on all cylinders, writing tons of music for Soundstripe and the company he's working for now. Well, cool, man. That's rad. And that show is going to be amazing. I bought my ticket last week, so I'm really excited. So I shall be there. And I train Ben Went. Do you know Ben? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Ben. Definitely. Ben's awesome. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he was the one. He put a little birdie in my ear a couple months ago that this might actually happen in Kansas City. So I've known for a little while, but I didn't really know what the details were going to be. When he told me, I don't even know if my brain registered what he was telling me because such a special thing to get these three or four bands, really, oh, these yeah. four artists. The opening guy from Surrogate, Chris from Surrogate, there was a few bands there in the mid-2000s, like 2006, 7, 8 from Tooth & Nail that I think they kind of got underlooked. They didn't have a ton of albums put out on Tooth & Nail, but they mm-hmm. have like one Tooth & Nail album that I really liked, Surrogate. Mm-hmm. There's another band called The Send. Uh, oh yeah. They had one really good album <laughs> and yeah. I don't know if they did anything after that, but man, I just remember listening to that. And then a, a band called Ruth, I think that I saw, uh-huh. but yeah, all Aaron Sprinkle production too. I was going to say, yeah, those were like, that's probably another reason why I really liked it. Cause like he just has that sound that just is, it's classic and it's awesome. So yeah. yeah, there's a band you should check out for sure. You may have already listened to both albums, but I love them a lot and they put out a lot of music since, and I really need to visit some of it, but the first two albums specifically, the ones they put out on Tooth and Nail, a band called The Fold from Chicago. Yes. Did you ever listen to them? Oh, yeah, they were awesome. I yeah. loved them. And they had a record called Secrets Keep You Sick. I believe that's what it's called. Secrets Keep You Sick. It was their second album on Tooth and Nail. And they went and recorded with Zach Odom and Kenneth Mount down in Atlanta. And I remember when... 
the American Life went down there to record, they let us hear some songs from that record. And I was blown away. And I love that record. And I don't think very many people got a chance to hear it. I feel like it's one of those records that you mentioned. It kind of fell under the radar. Yeah, there was such a, few, a good record. Yeah, there was so. a few of those like right there in the, the middle of the 2000 to 2010 that just kind of like flew under the radar. I don't know what the deal was, if it was the promotion at the time for Tooth and Nail, maybe just kind of like dipped a little bit. I'm not sure. I I should go back and listen to some of those pods to see if Labeled has anything on those bands yet. Yeah, I have a theory from maybe 2009 to 2011, or maybe it was a little bit before that too with Tooth & Nail because the neon pop punk scene, that was thriving. You had bands like We The Kings and The Main and Boys Like Girls and All Time Low. They were all doing really, really well. And maybe it was that resurgence of pop punk that overshadowed some of the bands that were a little bit more mature sounding, I think, on Tooth & Nail. Mm -hmm. But I also think illegal downloading made a huge dent when it came to independent labels from 2005 to about 2012, because 2012 was when the streaming networks really gained popularity. And it seemed like labels could actually make money again from music. But there was just that period of time in the late 2000s where I think illegal downloading really decimated a lot of those independent labels because you had labels folding like Drive Through and the Militia Group, even some of the bigger ones. You know, I think even Epitaph took some hits there, but... Yeah, who knows? It just seemed like Tooth and Nail was doing so well in the mid 2000s. I think of years like 2004, 5, and 6. You had They're Only Chasing Safety in 2004. And then in 2005, you had that Amberlin record, Never Take Friendship Personal, May, Emery's The Question. (laughs) Number One Gun was doing really well. Oh, yeah, they were awesome. Yeah, they were just killing it, destroying it. And then things took a little bit of a dip, I think, after that. And maybe it was because of that new crop of bands, because of the illegal downloading, they couldn't capture the audience that bands like Amberlin, Copeland, and Emery and May did. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Who knows? All I know is I was listening to a lot of that music at the time and I was here for it. Anytime there was a new Aaron Sprinkle production, I wanted to hear it. Mm-hmm. So I remember listening to The Send and Ruth and those were great albums. Oh yeah. yeah. Good stuff. What about newer bands? What are some of your favorite newer bands? Oh man. So I was thinking about this as you asked me and I need to listen to more newer bands to be honest. I kind of get stuck in my nostalgia and I'm sure you've gone through this as well. Oh yeah. But there's some bands that they're not really super new anymore. I don't think, but bands like Foxing, Real mm-hmm. Friends, Tiny Moving Parts, those bands that I was way late on that I started listening to like recently, they're probably from like, they probably started like 10 years ago at this point, <laughs> but mm-hmm. those okay. were bands that I was late on and just got into. But there was a band that I recently, I'm going to pump them out right now because I don't think a ton of people know about it maybe they do and i'm just late on them again but there's a band called sincerely comma me have you heard of that mm-hmm. band yet mm-hmm. yeah okay. all right yeah. so i didn't know fearless I'm not sure what they're on, but they came up on my Spotify daily playlist randomly. Like I'd never listened to them before and they just sound like bands that I listen to. And so they popped up and that was like the first new band that had popped up on my playlist in a while. And I was cool. like, oh man, these guys are really solid. So then I just start listening to their stuff. I think they just put out their first full length at the very end of 2020. So their first full length has been out about a year now, but yeah, really solid album. If you're into pop punk, really good stuff. Oh, I am Mark. I really oh, am. I know you are. Yeah, for the <laughs> listeners, for the listeners though listen oh yeah for the listeners (laughs) yeah no i might be thinking of a different band they might not be on fearless records but you're right they are a relatively new band for sure and you said their first full length came out last year officially at the end of 2020 cool that name has popped up on my radar on spotify as well i'll have to dig into their stuff because i don't think i have i think there was one song that kept popping up that i really enjoyed and i may have thrown it on a playlist sometimes when i hear a song and i halfway like it i just automatically throw it in the playlist for the year so i haven't segmented out in years Mm -hmm. so i have like a 2021 playlist and anytime i hear a song from a band that i like or somebody sends me something i just pop it in there and yeah it's been an easy way to find new bands and stuff. I wrote down the name of the song that I first heard from him. It's called It's Okay to Be Me. And I thought that it would sound great on the radio. It kind of starts out with that rise against swing life away kind of acoustic sound. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into about halfway through the song, full band, electric guitars, drums going crazy. And the buildup is really awesome. So yeah, that's the song that kind of got me hooked on them. And then the rest of the album is really solid. So dude, Rad, I'm going to listen to that tomorrow. That's awesome. Cause I always need new music and it's always good to have something new to listen to in the space. This is kind of off topic, but slightly on. Have you heard any of the new Mayday Parade stuff? I have not. They were solid though, back in the day. I listened to them quite a bit. (laughs) 
Dude, I might send you some stuff. I really loved Sunnyland that came out back in, I think, 2017. So it's been out for a little while, but they're putting out a new record on Friday. Oh, nice. And they've released maybe four or five singles now. So they've released quite a bit of music since then. They even put out an EP last year. They put out a three song EP as a transition into the new record. And I don't think any of those songs are going to be on the new record. And all three songs are great, but they put out a single a few weeks ago and they made a music video to coincide with it. And I don't really want to give it away. I should just send it to you, but they did something that I've never heard anybody do before. It's almost like the melding of Jimmy World into Fast MXPX. Whoa. Yeah, it's insane. I'm going to be into that. Just from you saying that, like, putting those (laughs) two, like, back to back, like, that's right up my alley. You know know how they get me. It's rad. It's literally like this ballady acoustic song. And then all of a sudden it's skate punk. I mean, that's just, that's what I'll tell you, but it's so good and they do it really, really well. And, and you listen to it. I'm surprised nobody's ever done this before. That's awesome. Yeah. Like nobody's the, ever on my daily playlist. Sometimes I get Mayday Parade acoustic songs that I've listened to quite a bit. And I know those are older acoustic songs, but those just kind of randomly pop up and I always, I never skip it. I'm always listening to it. So yeah, cool. I'm excited to hear that new stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll send it your way, man. Dude, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. This is fine. We'll have to do this again, man. We'll have to get on here again and do a deep dive on an album or something. We've mentioned so many albums. It'd be fun to just do a deep dive and go through the whole thing. I am down, man. Let me know. I'll okay, cool. Let's plan a week where you don't have to do a podcast at 2 a.m. after a <laughs> Sunday night Chiefs game. <laughs> yeah, those, those are fun. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I do like doing those podcasts, but yeah, you can, if you don't want to listen to that podcast, I understand. You can check out my writing though, if you want. Can I plug that real quick? Absolutely, dude. Plug okay. anything you want. I'm actually going to check out your Chiefs podcast because I like listening to people talk about the Chiefs. So I would love to hear my friend Mark talk about the Chiefs. That'd be cool. Yeah. Every Monday morning, it's on Apple. It's on Spotify. It's every whatever. Wherever What's it called? Get, it's called Roughing the Kicker. And I only do it on Monday mornings, but Jordan Foote's the host. He does it three times a week. Yeah, it's kind of based off of the website that I write for, which is a subset of sportsillustrated.com. It's actually called arrowheadreport.com, but it's a chief space website through Sports Illustrated. So I do an article a week there. My articles come out on Saturdays. And then, yeah, the podcast that I'm on will come out usually on Mondays. If it's a Monday night game, they'll come out on Tuesdays, but you know how it works. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, man. That's really cool. Arrowhead Report or Arrowhead yeah. Reporter? ArrowheadReport.com. Yeah, ArrowheadReport.com. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll definitely link that in the show notes and I'll have that in here in the episode as well. And then Rough the Kicker is the name of the podcast. Roughing the Kicker. Yeah. Roughing the Kicker. Awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely going to listen to that. And you're every Monday morning? Yep. Cool. That's yeah. fun, man. That's rad. That's got to be fun. You got to have fun talking yeah, Chiefs, right? Yeah, it's a good time. That was something I did. So when I got out of radio, the last time I'm back in radio, but the, the last time that I got kind of booted out of radio, started working for Amazon for a little bit just for, you know, money, source of income. You got to do what you got to do. Sure. Um, and so that was just kind of something that popped up as a, you know, something to do for fun, not really paid, but just doing it for fun. And it was something to keep the creative juices flowing while I was delivering Amazon packages. <laughs> well, dude, I'm glad you brought this up actually, because I think that's really creative and really, it was probably life-giving because it's something that you enjoy. But at the same time, like you said, it helped you stay creative and you created a source of income with it. And I like the fact that you were willing to put yourself out there again after the situation with the radio and thank you for always championing the scene and emo music in general doing the emo show i mean that was something that we needed in kansas city and you were always the one willing to do that and i always appreciated seeing you whenever we would do anything locally so thank you for doing that for so long but i think it's cool that you were transitioning but you were still thinking about ways in which you could not just get back into radio but do something creative because i would imagine that's really what you like doing you like talking about this stuff you like thinking about it and And there's a lot of people out there that they might like football, but they may not necessarily want to pour all of their energy into trying to, I would imagine it just takes a lot of intention and work to do what you do, right? It's Mm -hmm. like some people like football and they'll talk to their friends about football, but I would imagine you have to go 10 extra steps to really dissect it, to really be able to know it and to be able to talk about it. I think you have to have a certain level of humility, but also tenacity to just go after something like that. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's, 
it's almost like you can read stuff throughout the week about the Chiefs and everything like that. So like you get the knowledge, but then it's also like for myself trying to separate it because I have to be able to form my own thoughts and be able to type it out for myself and be able Mm -hmm. to form my own opinions and be able to put that out there. So it is transitioning from being just a listener of like some podcasts and like sports talk radio and then being able to kind of like put myself into it. I kind of had that background a little bit, but then being able to actually put it to use. Yeah, it's been just kind of fun doing that as a transition. And it did kind of help me actually get back into the talk radio side because my old boss there at the radio station had been unknowing to me. She's my friend on Facebook and I share my stories, my articles, and she's like, I've been reading all your articles and man, it would be great to have you back on even to talk about Chiefs sometime. So yeah, just keeping relationships with people and not leaving somewhere on a bad note. I will say that as advice, like always be positive and always be kind to people. And, uh, you know, maybe you'll be able to come back around to wherever you need to go. (laughs) Dude, there are ripple effects in this universe that we co-inhabit when you're kind to people. And when you have a good reputation, as you do, that will come back. There is a general theme of reciprocity in the universe, I think. And if you put good stuff out there, it's going to come back. It's going to flow back in ways that sometimes we can't even imagine. A few years, you know, goes by and it's amazing what sort of networking can happen because somebody had a good interaction with us or somebody's watching something in the background, or maybe you're putting something out there on the internet and to be positive. And like you said, somebody was reading your thoughts on this, which that's the thing too. I would imagine there's a lot of people that maybe want to argue with you about your opinion about certain things. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I- I don't like to check the Facebook comments sometimes because uh, sure. not on my personal page, but like on the Chiefs page that our editor copies and pastes the stories to. Sometimes there's like, I don't even know, like there's like hundreds of comments on this article that I wrote that I'm like, okay, first of all, that's weird that there's so many people commenting on that. But <laughs> um, secondly, like the opinions, I, I will like browse through it, but I will never respond to anything just because I'm like, I don't have time for that. I'm just going to let it go. <laughs> That's a good rule of thumb, man. Don't feed the trolls because they tend to multiply when you do that. So they're like gremlins, but yeah, no, that's great. I mean, you put yourself out there, you were open for opportunity and look what happened. That's really cool. So I'm proud of you, man. That's really cool. And I'm happy for you. And what's the talk radio station that you're working for now? 710 AM and 103.7 FM are the two dials in Kansas city. And then kcmotalkradio.com is where you can see what's going on there. So cool. Awesome, man. Well, dude, thanks again. I appreciate your time. And man, I've known you for a while now. So thanks for always being a bud. And I'm glad we were able to do this. And yeah, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your night. Hopefully you get some good sleep tonight and have a good rest of your week as well. And I'll see you at the Emory show. Can't wait, man. I'll I'll see you at the Emory show. It'll be a good time. Yeah, dude. We'll be singing until our voices leave. (laughs) Leave us. And then we'll karaoke after that. (laughs) Yes. Oh, dude. It's going to be so much fun. All right, man. Sounds good. Yeah. I'll make a couple graphics and I'll send them to you if you want to share them. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of laughing, not necessarily laughing at myself, but 15, 16. I don't know. It was on my Facebook memories from like 15 or 16 years ago. Me and my roommate, Chris, his nickname was Chops. I was Marky Mark and we had a radio show together back in college. (laughs) Nice. And my status on Facebook was Marky Mark and Chop Show. Tune in now. And it had like the phone number to call in if you wanted to request a song. And I was like, man, I'm just always promoting stuff. I guess from being in a band, you know how it goes. Like you're just always promoting stuff. So it's been in my blood for so long. I'm promoting whatever I'm a part of, I'm going to promote it. So definitely send me whatever and I'll promote it. (laughs) Hell yeah, dude. That's awesome. That's the thing. We got to hustle. If we want to put ourselves out there, we want to live a brave life. We got to get out there, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, good job, man. It's done good things, I think, for you and then everybody that's associated with you. It just waves, ripple effects beyond us, man. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Are you yeah, going to be at I'll... the Gillespie show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll see you there. I'll see you at, say, on I Friday. Didn't, I didn't know when the podcast was going to be. So I, I, I didn't want to like say that if it was going to air after the Gillespie no show. No worries. <laughs> yeah. No worries at all. Yeah. I was going to tell you, I actually bought tickets from Jeremy today. I bought his last two. Nice. I saw yeah. that he was, I thought, I saw that he was low when he tweeted about it so well, apparently i think those were the last two physical tickets so you can still buy tickets online but all the physical tickets are gone okay cool yeah i told him i was like yeah my daughter's got basketball practice till seven i was like so i'm gonna be 
going straight to the show after that. So I'm hoping Rad. initially he told me he was going on at eight. So I still hope he's going on at eight because I, I, yeah, I, I asked never... him today and he said that he thinks he's going on at eight. Sweet. Awesome. I will be there by eight for sure. So cool, man. Yeah. I've never seen him. So I know he just kind of started this thing. So I like his yeah. band faint heart. So I do too. We didn't mention him, but there was a guy who was on tour with Aaron Gillespie named Travis Bryant and he sang for the band Terminal. I don't know if you remember oh, them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like Terminal. Yeah, I did too. He's got a great voice. He may still be with them, that Travis Bryant guy. He's from Texas. So it's possible he's not on the whole tour, but I thought he was through the whole thing. That would be awesome. Yeah. I think actually at that show with was kind of another tooth and nail type tour with, I don't think the send was there, but Ruth was there. I think terminal was there. What was the other band? The fold. Is that who yeah. The was? fold. I think the fold was there too. Cool. Um, and then one other band I can't think of now, but yeah, there was a lot of those shows back in the day that I would just flock to because I just liked all those bands. <laughs> yeah, dude, I did too. There was a sound there. And I think Aaron Sprinkle had a lot to do with that, you know, mm-hmm. just his recording and he would produce and then he'd send it to Jeremy. McNeely to mix mm-hmm. and Jared McNeely mixed a lot of the stuff that we love even if it wasn't produced by Aaron Sprinkle there's a lot of albums that were mixed by Jared McNeely that had that sound mm-hmm. like you mentioned it one of my favorite records to The Week's End by Emery mm-hmm. did you know Ed Rose produced that yes I knew that because our band actually went to the Black Lodge to record so one of my brother's old roommates side story again sorry I get no you're good here, but you're good man so it was, I think, 2004, maybe early 2005. One of my brother's roommates from college went to a recording college in Arizona and came back to KC and was doing an internship at the Black Lodge. Cool. He needed a band to do like two or three songs with. So he invited us over to the Black Lodge. And I was like, man, so many good bands have recorded here. And I was like, I'm pretty sure Emery recorded here. And so we started digging into it. And we were like, Emery definitely recorded here like a year ago. So we were like super excited about that at the time. Um, And then of course the Get Up Kids. Yeah. The Get Up Kids had like shirts and like random albums just scattered throughout that place. And I was like Mm -hmm. four minute mile, like there's just random like 20 CDs just sitting around like four minute mile. And I was like, Get Up Kids, they must like partially their like storage space too at the time. I would imagine, (laughs) but like. I think it was. Yeah, the Black Lodge was incredible. Yeah, so cool. but. I don't think Ed Rose mixed it. It was J.R. McNeely who mixed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and J.R. McNeely mixed their only chasing speed. But yeah, I'm sure the Get Up Kids had a bunch of swag around there since they ended up, they bought it a few years after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They, they owned it for a while. Then I actually last, I think it was last fall, maybe, I took my girls out to the sunflower fields out there, Grinter Farm. Yeah, and in Kansas. Yeah, yeah. We were driving through the back way from where we live in over, well, we're in Olathe now, but at the time, over on Park, we were driving up the back way through Eudora. Mm-hmm. And I literally pulled over on side of the road and my girl's like what are you doing i was like this is called the black lodge i was like this is uh i so i was starting to tell them the his- they don't care obviously they do. But, <laughs> like i'm telling them the history of black lodge indulging myself and like taking selfies like with my cell phone and like That's sending awesome. it to my brother and like my old bandmates i'm like i just went by the black lodge and it looked pretty empty like i don't think maybe somebody records there still i'm not sure but looked a little empty at the time when i drove by it <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's probably slightly abandoned now, which is kind of unfortunate, but Old brick yeah, a lot of history in, in that place. <laughs> yeah, a lot of history. It's crazy, man. Well, thanks again for doing this. I really appreciate it. No problem. Yeah, I'll definitely f- come back if you ever want to do an album or, you know, whatever you want to do, I'll come back. Oh, yeah, dude. We'll do it for sure. Absolutely. Okay. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'll see you Friday night. All right, man. Yeah, I'll be there with Pamela. So we'll, we'll come say hey. All right. Sounds good, man. See you then. All right. See you, buddy. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be amazing wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you just want to recommend this podcast to a friend who might enjoy it. All right. Hope you have a wonderful day. Hope you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) 